Hey Zipper friends, my name is Neil and welcome to episode 57 of the Get Your Comic On podcast. We're here fortnightly-ish to bring you a slice of film, TV and pop culture goodness from our studio direct to your speakers and or equivalent sound system. I'm joined, of course, by my very own boy wonder Martin. Say hello, Martin. Hello, Martin. He's asked specifically that I don't ask him how he is because we live together and I should know how he is because we're together 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. So we will presume that you're alright and uh, crack on with what we're talking about this episode, shall we? Yes. (laughs) Can you tell the lovely listeners at home what's coming up on this week's show? No. Because we still haven't put the whiteboard back up on the wall. For those who are tracking the uh, the studio refurbishment, um, last episode to this episode, nothing has changed. So we have a wonderfully redecorated room that has no artwork on the walls, and the whiteboard is currently resting against a bookcase. Eventually, maybe by next episode, we'll have put things right again. We'll have to. It's going to get embarrassing if we're like four or five episodes in and nothing has happened. Coming up on this week's show, uh, we have three teaser trailers to talk about. We have the trailer for season two of Stargirl, the trailer for season two of Picard, and the trailer for season three of Titans. We have not one, but three interview guests on this week's episode. We have the lovely Tim Sheridan, the writer of Batman The Long Halloween, which is due for release this week on digital and DVD Blu-ray 4K from Warner Brothers. We're also joined by author Ryan North and illustrator Derek Charm to talk about their latest DC Comics graphic novel for young readers, The Mystery of the Meanest Teacher, a Johnny Constantine graphic novel. So we're going to be reviewing both Johnny Constantine and uh, Batman The Long Halloween, and we're also going to chat about The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, which I find really difficult to say. I keep calling it Hitman's Bodyguard's Wife, uh, which is a Lionsgate sequel starring Samuel L. Jackson, Salma Hayek and Ryan Reynolds, which is available in UK cinemas now. So without further ado, on with the show. So since we last podcasted, there has been a trio of huge trailer releases uh, for TV series we uh, we got the first trailer for season two of Stargirl. Then we were hit with a new teaser for Picard season two on Picard Day. And that was followed by a blistering trailer for the third season of HBO Max's Titans. First up, though, we're going to talk about the returning Stargirl. The series returns to the CW on August the 10th, 2020. The, the cast from season one, I won't rattle off the full cast list, are all returning and they're going to be joined by some brand new villains in season two in the form of Eclipso, played by Nick Tarabay, The Shade, played by Jonathan Cake, and the magical wish-granting imp Thunderbolt, played by the wonderful Jim Gaffigan. So the trailer looks like it's teeing up the series to pick up pretty quickly after the season one finale with the gang, the Justice Society of America, kind of disbanding after defeating the Injustice were they called the Injustice Society? They were, weren't they? Yes. Are you okay? Yes. Hay fever? Yes. Oh dear. Itchy eyes? Yes. <laughs> um, and it looks like it's going to follow Courtney struggling to have a normal life whilst also being Stargirl. It seems like she's kind of mucking up her school life and putting more time into being Stargirl than being a normal teenage girl. And it's going to try and balance that out with this trio of new villains. What do you think of the of the trailer? You were you were a big fan of season one, so I'm interested to know what you thought about this. Oh, good, very excited for it. Feels like it's been forever since this show was on. When did we watch it? It was 
The season one finale aired on 10th of August 2020, so it will return a year to the day from the finale. Okay, so not that long ago then. It's it's, yeah, when you think that it started 10, 13 weeks before that, we've gone past a year from when it first started, and it's going to be a year from where it ended, so it's been a little while. Uh, But obviously, you know, quite a lot has happened in between. What do you think of the look at the new villains? You don't actually get to see Eclipso so much there in his sort of physical form. You got to see Thunderbolt, the the pink imp type character, looks a bit Loki-ish. And you got to see the Shade, which is the the kind of magician-y type guy. They look like potentially interesting foes for season two. Very magical season two. Does seem quite magical, doesn't it? Wish-granting imp. I don't know much about Eclipso, but then a sort of magician-y type dude as well. He's that sort of a demony magical creature sort of looks like cindy uh the the kind of bitchy high school girl that turned out to be a super villain in the first season is she's obviously still alive because we we knew that from the end of season one but the others aren't aware that she's alive but she's clearly going to be by the look of it sort of putting together her own version of the injustice society which makes sense have a younger set of villains against a younger set of heroes like a teen injustice society yeah angsty teen injustice society yeah not a huge amount of courtney's home life other than the fact that she's not doing very well at school so there's not a huge amount of the stepbrother or the mum in the trailer there's a little bit of luke wilson but only really in his mentorship role so it'd be interesting to see how the family dynamic is now that the the secret that was there between the the kind of the two factions of the family is gone because that was obviously quite a driving factor in in season one And we've got a Green Lantern as well. Yes, so that's the other major thing. So this is a brand new character, I think. So she's played by Issa Penarejo, and she, uh, the character that she's playing is called Jade. We know that Jade is the daughter of original Green Lantern, Alan Scott. So it looks like she has come back to Blue Valley to find the ring. So I guess we're straying slightly from Green Lantern um, kind of mythos, because normally the ring would do its whole, like, like fly off thing to find the next person but obviously we know the lantern was was in the the hall of justice for the justice society and then courtney put it in her cupboard didn't she she took it home so that's obviously why in the scene in the trailer jade is at courtney's house she must be she must have part of maybe she's got the ring and she's going to find the the lantern to charge it with but whatever it looks like there's going to be a star girl green lantern face off and presumably they'll become friends and she'll join the crew in the end but that's going to be really interesting to see a new lantern. Nice to have a female lantern as well. There seems to be a lot, when you think about sort of Jessica Cruz, there's there's a lot being put into diversifying the Green Lantern Corps, or the, the, like the Lanterns of Earth, more than there has been in the past. You've got Teen Lantern. She was, she's a, a young lady. Uh, yeah, of course. And there's the um, there's the Asian Green Lantern as well from the, the YA book, which I'm looking at the shelf, but I don't actually have... Oh, do I have it? I do, after rifling through the shelves. Uh, yeah, Min Lee and Andy Tong's Green Lantern Legacy, which is about the character of Tai Pham, uh, is, a, is another Asian lantern, but also a younger lantern. Really interesting book as well. If if you haven't read that one, I would definitely recommend it. It's one of the, the DC Comics books for younger readers. Any other factors for Stargirl Season 2 that you are highly anticipating? No, I just wonder how it's going to fit in if we're given all these sort of mythical bad guys. They don't really have any people on the lineup that can deal with magical threats so are we going to see some links to justice league dark or mm. are we going to pull on some extra support well uh the flash is in it not grant gustin not ezra miller 
90s Flash, mm-hmm. who is who died in Crisis, is playing that role on this Earth. So John Wesley Ship couldn't give his name. So I don't know if it's going to be the same version of the character who passed away in Crisis, but at another point. Or I don't quite know how it works, but he will be appearing as Jay Garrick in an episode or two of of this season as well. He's done a guest spot. Don't know if they're going to cross over with Grant Gustin's Flash, which was the plan last year. I would presume because of COVID, probably not. Just because they haven't managed to cross over any of the shows that film in Vancouver. So I doubt they would manage to cross over with a show that's shot in Atlanta. I think it's Atlanta, Georgia. You know what I mean? Yeah, somewhere. Somewhere. America. <laughs> so as I said at the top of this one, uh, Stargirl Season 2 returns in America on August the 10th. You will of course remember that last year it premiered new episodes on DC Universe and then aired on the CW the following day. With DC Universe now a comics-only subscription service, the show will be a CW exclusive, but you will be able to stream episodes on the CW app the following day, and you can catch Season 1 on Amazon Prime Video in international territories. We don't know yet when Season 2 will air internationally, but we will let you know as soon as that information becomes available. So the second trailer that we got, which I was incredibly excited about in the last couple of weeks, was a new teaser for Star Trek Picard Season 2 which is not airing until 2022. They are currently in production. They're quite well into production on season two now. Still strongly rumoured that they're going to film a season two and a season three back to back, and that will be it for Picard. But focusing on what we got here, they dropped a brand new trailer and poster as a surprise on Picard Day. So June the 16th is Captain Picard Day, which was um, a celebration that was held for the children on the Enterprise D where they celebrated their captain every year. And that's become a a real-life celebration of the now Admiral Picard. There is quite a lot to unpack in this trailer. (laughs) There is a lot going on here. I actually wrote a full-on piece for this, which you can check out over on the website, www.getyourcomicon.co.uk. It's probably dropped off the homepage by now, but if you search for Picard or you you head to our Star Trek section, then you will find my my piece on this trailer, which is entitled, What Happened to the Timeline? Question mark. A closer look at the Star Trek Picard teaser. First things first, what did you think? Did you, did you like the look of this trailer? Is this excited you? Ready for 2022? It has intrigued me. Okie dokie. What is intriguing you about this trailer? That it's all a bit timey, wimey, wibbly wobbly. Yeah. I would not... If you kind of sat me down and said, where do you think that Picard will go in season two from where it ended in season one? This is not where I would have taken the show at all or where I would have presumed the show was going to go. My, my presumption was... And spoilers for anybody who's not seen all of season one, which is available to stream now on Amazon Prime Video in the UK and on Paramount Plus in the US. But I presumed it would have dealt with Picard returning to Earth, having uncovered the the kind of the Romulan corruption plot and dealing with the fact that synthetics, the ban on synthetics had been lifted, but that he himself now is a synthetic because the, the, you know, the real body of Picard has passed away. But Whilst I guess that will be dealt with in some respects, certainly there's scenes in this trailer of him back in a Starfleet uniform which don't seem to be set in the past. I could be wrong. This is all just guesswork. But it, it seems like the the crux of the matter is going to be a timey-wimey story. But in what context? 
I don't know. So, again, for those who maybe haven't seen this trailer yet, you can check it out. It's up on the website. Um, The introduction of Q certainly seems to be, or reintroduction of Q, played once again by John Delancey, does seem to be perhaps the impetus for something going on. Part of the, the voiceover in the trailer. So the trailer opens back at Chateau Picard. It looks like he's back home. But Picard is wandering around calling out for Laris, the the Romulan... Um, what I, what would you call her? I don't want to call her like a housemaid, because that sounds like she dotes on him, which I guess she does, but in a loving way. It, she's not an employee, per se. Uh, but played by the wonderful Orla Brady. And he's kind of calling out for her, and then when she's not there, he says, what the hell is happening here? Which is when Q appears, and Q says to him... Mon Capitan, how I've missed you, and it's you think for a second, oh God, what you know? Okay, what does this mean? But he says in the next line of dialogue, Q says, "Welcome, my friend, to the very end of the road not taken," which would suggest this is some kind of are they pushed even further into the future, or is this how Picard would have passed away had he not passed away at the the planet where the synths was living? This. I don't know. I have a lot of questions. Someone, there's also a female character who's not seen on screen, but whose dialogue is uh, just simply to say that time is broken. So, what broke time? Or who? Or who? Did Q do it? As Q kind of said, I don't want you to be a synthetic, clicked his fingers and made him human again. And it's some kind of, this is what would have happened if the events of season one hadn't happened, maybe? I don't know. But there's, there's a lot to unpick. So we get to see uh, Rafi, play, played by Michelle Hurd, and Elnor, uh, Evan Evagora. They seem to be on the run in some kind of dystopian cityscape. You've got Soji, played by Isa Briones, who's uh, looking very much not like the character she was in season one, constantly in her grey jumpsuit, kind of being scientific. She's dolled up with face of makeup and curly hair and stood in the fountain looking very prim and proper which is quite interesting and then you've got Agnes Alison Pill's character just looks at the screen as if she's worried about something off screen and the last person that you see is Chris Rios the captain of La Serena played by Santiago Cabrera he uh, his captain's chair has a Starfleet insignia on it and he's wearing a very different looking Starfleet com badge which would suggest either he never left or is now back in Starfleet so there's something very different for all of them. It's almost like they've all found themselves either in a different reality or they, having been together, have now been separated, maybe. Maybe they've never actually met if it's a different timeline. There's only one shot where they're all together. Uh, and it's not, it's not even a full-on... I think it's Picard in the front of the frame and you can just see the rest of them stood behind him in quite a sort of blurred background. And it's when Picard says something along the lines of, uh, it's when you've, you've just heard the time is broken phrase. And Picard says something about, I'll get us I'll get us back there. And then you get to Seven slash Annika. What's going on with her? I mean, is she Borg? Has she been fixed? Is she married to Jakoti? Sorry, Jakoti. <laughs> so you see Jerry Ryan, Seven of Nine, wake up. In a, uh, just in a rather luscious looking bedroom she gets up she looks in the mirror and realises she has no Borg implants, she puts her hand to her face and the hand is wearing a wedding ring there's also some kind of com badge insignia pin badge that's on the table in front of her that's an unrecognisable but not too unfamiliar sort of design 
So, yeah, is this a completely now deborged Seven of Nine? Or is this an Annika Hansen that was never taken to the Delta Quadrant and assimilated? Who is she married to? She was entering a relationship with Rafi at the end of season one. So, what? just what is happening now? Oh, do you know, it's probably Janeway again. <laughs> do you need an Admiral Janeway to fix this situation? I mean, she's always fiddling around with timelines. She's had two Harry Kims... You know, we've got Kess who's come back from different time periods. She herself has gone back in time several occasions. It could just be, you know. Oh, yeah, that two-parter where they went back to the 90s. <laughs> Who knows? It's, uh, I mean... Could they burn them in their wee sort of flappy outfit again? The, what was that, an angel? Oh, yeah, the red angel from Discovery. Um, I was just going to say, as far as teasers go, this is incredibly teasing. I mean, when you think about this compared to Stargirl that we just talked about as both considered a teaser, I would say Stargirl is more of a, here's what we're going to do this year. And this is more of a, what the hell is going on? You're saying that Stargirl is more of a tickle? It's more of a tickle than a tease, yeah. And this one's suitably teased you. Yes, um, and then I would imagine that the next trailer that we're going to talk about suitably teased you to yourself. It may have. have, (laughs) We'll get to that in a minute. Um, Anything else that you want to say about the Picard teaser? No, I'm I'm suitably teased, not tickled, and intrigued. (laughs) Mm. Me too. Great piece of marketing there to have people sitting on the edge of their seats waiting for 2022 to roll around. When will this be? Oh, 2022. Yeah, that's all we know is 2022. That's a long time. It is, but they're taking their time over filming it, which is is good. I, I think they felt like they were still working out who they wanted to be while they were making the first season. And now, similar to Star Trek The Next Generation, really, they now know who they are and what they're doing, and they they feel quite sure of themselves. So I think they're taking their time to make a really good second season. Although, to be fair, I have barely any complaints about season one, so, you know. We'll keep you posted on news as to when Star Trek Picard season two will be coming to air. So the final teaser trailer that we have to talk about in the news this week was another surprise that came out in the last few days and is our first look at the third season of DC's Titans. All right then, Boy Wonder, what do you think of the trailer, or teaser, should I say, for Titans season three? This isn't really rude there, but I probably shouldn't. What are you going to say? About teasing and being, I don't know, to the point of uncontrollableness. Okay, moving on. It's a bit weird, isn't it? What do you think of the trailer? Well, I just told you, I I very very much enjoyed it. (laughs) Definitely enjoyed it a little bit too much. Tease for an inch of my life here. Right, so let's let's unpick this one. We knew that Red Hood was coming this season. We've seen photos of uh, Karen Walters in costume. So that's it. Foregone conclusion, done deal. Uh, Red Hood will be appearing. There is interesting... Let's just talk about what's not in this trailer. So there's no Blackfire. There is a shot of Starfire... There is no Blackfire. We also don't get to see Barbara Gordon. So just before, literally hours before the trailer came out, we got a first look still of Savannah Welch as uh, Commissioner Barbara Gordon in her wheelchair with uh, the yellow wheels, which was something which was characteristic of her in the comics uh, back in the kind of, say, late 90s, early 2000s. They've modelled the oracles, the kind of the oracle chair on, on how it was in the comics. Um, we do get a very brief look at Jonathan Crane in the trailer, but not his face, only the back of him in his cell. Again, a, a first look still of Vincent Kathizer came out of him just before the trailer was released. 
I'm trying to think if there's anything else that's been confirmed for this season that we didn't really get to see. You don't see... Oh, actually, yes. You don't see Raven at all. There is no Tegan Croft in this trailer and also no Donna Troy. So it's it's well known that Connor Leslie is on set. They're, they're not hiding that fact. So it kind of undoes the, the death, but hey-ho, we'll look forward to having her back. But again, she's not seen in this trailer. This trailer really focuses on how Titans is going to handle the death in the family story. So, favourite moments? Uh, all of it, I think. <laughs> Are we going to get any rational response out of you when it comes to this trailer? No, I don't think so, because I think, I vaguely remember when you showed it to me, I did squeal. Yep. And then sort of clutch onto you and then squealed again. And I was literally just about to sit down and do my interview with Ryan and Derek about Johnny Constantine. I might add, the trailer came out at sort of five o'clock-ish and my interview was at six. So I was currently, at the time, doing the, my technology's not working, I'm panicking about questions, and I can't focus on anything. Yeah, and then I'm screeching, there's a crowbar, there's a joker, there's a scene yes. from Under the Red Hood. Ah. Okay, so there is a joker, so let's talk about that. So the the trailer opens with Curran Walters breaking his way into what looks like a fairground. He finds a security guard with a jokerized face, which has been giving me nightmares ever since, and looks like a brilliant piece of practical makeup. You then hear a, a laugh, but it's a mechanical one. It's not the Joker himself. He turns around, and the next time we see a shot from that scene, it is a silhouetted Joker. Curran Walters' Robin is on the floor, and there is a crowbar being thrust quite repeatedly and violently. Said crowbar then turns up on the on the floor of what looks like Wayne Manor, covered in blood, and we see a bit of Bruce's reaction to something in Wayne Manor. So Ian Glenn is back as Batman Bruce Wayne this season. And yes, a, a death in the family appears to be where we're going. I mean, it's very, it's, it's very close. It's closer than I thought they were going to do. Yeah, I, I my, I was going to say overly romantic notion, but that's not the right words. My memory of death in the family is that he is. It's the same as under the red hood. The film, isn't it? It's in. It happens in another country. It doesn't happen in in Gotham. He's tied up in a warehouse, and I was. I'm always convinced. I'm sure that the way I have read it is that his mum is there and dies as well. Oh, I can't remember. I don't think she's there. I don't know why this is my memory. I need to figure this out because that is that under the red hood that that's the way they did it, or is it the comic, or is it some other adaption that I've read? I've read a ver- there is a version of that story in my head, where. Um, Jason wakes up in the um, in the warehouse tied up and he sees the bomb and he's been beaten but the part of it is that Joker has also kidnapped Jason's mum who'd abandoned him and that she is there with him tied up and ends up dying you're going to dig the comic book out now aren't you so having just dug out our copy of Death in the Family she is, she is there so um Batman flies off in his gyrocopter thing and Jason says, sorry, Bruce, but that's my mother in there with that lunatic. And then the next scene, he says, mum. And she says, Jason, she's walking out, lighting a cigarette. And he says, you've got big trouble, mum. I know all about it. The Joker, everything. And she says, I don't know what you're talking about. Come on, mum, play straight with me. I can help you. Sure. Tell me about it. Mum, there's a lot you don't know about me. And he reveals the Robin costume. And then the Joker appears and they then then the crowbarring happens and she just watches and turns a blind eye 
So it's not quite the way I thought it was. I I don't know why I had in my head that she was... Oh, she is then tied up. So when he wakes up, she's also tied up. And there is a bomb. He unties her and tells her to run. He can't run. The two of them try to help each other out and then it blows up. Because the door is locked and they can't get out. I thought so. I don't, I don't know why. I just knew it. It was in the back of my mind that she was going to be there. So it doesn't look like they're going quite as close to the story as that. But it certainly, what they've done and what they've shown us here feels very in keeping with Titans. I'm really interested to see how they do the Joker and whether all we're going to see is that silhouette and maybe hear a laugh or whether there'll actually be a Joker with a full face of Joker makeup that we'll get to see. I don't know. I mean, surely that would have leaked massively. That's mm. what I would have thought. I mean, there there is there are rumours that they have cast the Joker, but I mean, obviously there is an actor playing the Joker, but... Yeah, I feel like we'd have seen it, maybe. But then we haven't seen that famous scene until just now in this trailer. We've not seen set photos of them filming in a carnival where there is an actor being bludgeoned to death. So, who knows? There's not been a lot of set leaks for season three. Not until right towards the end of filming. And even then, we've not seen anything that we can piece together particularly well to understand what's happening. What else do we get to see? There's a lot of montage of shots here. Uh, you get to see a few shots of Nightwing, a couple of shots of him in action, which look pretty cool. The costume is the same as it was before. It doesn't look like it's been tweaked particularly much. There's some shots of Superboy. There's a really interesting shot of... Uh, so it's Nightwing, Starfire, Superboy, and Beast Boy all together. It looks quite interesting. Crypto's there as well. It really doesn't give very much away at all. There is a nice ominous shot of Arkham Asylum with Jonathan Crane in his cell. There's, there's a lot of really nice cinematography in this. It's, it looks like it's... Titans has always, I think, been really well filmed, but this is a particularly beautiful trailer. No, I would agree. And the music as well is very impactful. Yeah, it's... They get a lot of stick on social media saying that no one's ever really done very much to promote this show, but it has a very rabid fan base. And I think what they do is really beautiful work. Say what you will about whether it's the best storytelling. I mean, fair enough. There are people that think that how Donna died is was a bit of a, a joke which actually sidebar she made a hilarious joke of I showed you it didn't I yeah, on Instagram the other day yeah. there was uh, so that's, they've, they've all been obviously enjoying themselves filming and as it's gotten towards the end of filming they were they've all been larking around a little bit on social media so there was um, Joshua Orpin who plays Superboy and Tegan Croft who plays Raven in the makeup trailer and he'd found a Raven filter which he put on himself and then she put on herself. Oh, ha, 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 ha. And that was followed by Connor Leslie saying, oh my God, I found a Donna Troy filter. And it was just like electricity <laughs> all over her face, <laughs> which I thought was quite funny. Uh, she could barely keep a straight face. Why are you laughing? Because I said larking. Yeah, I mean, you're just so posh sometimes. Oh, they were larking around. All right. Thank you very much. Um, Those raucous children. <laughs> thanks. Character assassinate me whilst on the podcast. Sorry. Uh, I, it's difficult to say what else it is. It is a. It really is just a tease. It's a lot of of shots of stuff that tease. So I mean, you get the the full shot of him in costume, standing with the gun. Yep, only very brief shot, and you get to see his knife as well, right? And you get to see well, it's a very bloody knife. So yes, and then you do get that very, very, very sort of like two seconds of a warehouse with people shooting up. Yes, and with a, a bag on the table. And a bag on the table. Which is presumably a bag of heads. Which you would imagine would be a bag of heads, because it's sort of this, the shot of him is standing in a warehouse with a big gun. Yeah. 
and then it cuts to the round table with you would assume the the heads of the drug families yeah and him sort of now interestingly i think in that shot of the of um the, the goon firing up in the air there are there are two what well, appears to be two women at that table one of whom looks a bit like connor leslie and the other of whom has a really 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 white blonde wig which almost looks like dawn i don't think that it is i've got it on freeze frame now on the monitor and i don't know that it is them but it it could be them no i don't think it is them but it, it, it does look like a still from the animated movie and the comic so it's just if we talk about Dawn for a second, I think Dawn is done for this season. Unfortunately, she is in one shot of this trailer, suited up, uh, where she just her head kind of raises up, and that's all you see. But there are two shots of Hank, never in costume, uh, looking pretty worried. So we we know the first four episodes. Uh, we're pretty sure we know all thirteen episode titles, but. They, they've kind of played it as, uh, we know that there's some episode titles floating around, but the only people that you can trust to tell your episode titles are us. So they've only revealed four titles themselves. Uh, and I'm just going to, I'm just looking those up so I can tell you what those are, because one of, I know one of them is going to be quite important to what I was just saying, uh, which is episode one is called Barbara Gordon. So clearly we'll focus on, on her and the reason why they end up going to Gotham. Episode two is called Red Hood. So he's going to emerge pretty quickly. And this is the one which I think is important to what I was just saying. Episode three is called Hank and Dove. So we've had an episode called Hank and Dawn, and we've had an episode called Hawk and Dove. Now we've got Hank and Dove. And then episode four is titled Blackfire. So whether she will not appear until that point is is up for debate. But I've got a feeling that Hank and Dawn, Hank and Dove, sorry, is possibly going to see... I mean, their relationship—they'd already broken up, hadn't they? They were kind of—they were on good terms, but she was kind of ready to continue being Dove, and he was not really wanting to live that life anymore. I wonder whether she, unfortunately, because we have seen that she does like a bit of a punch-up, whether she just goes one step too far and ends up losing her life to it. What will be interesting to see is who it is that does end up offing her if she's offed. If it's Red Hood, if it's Jason, that could be extremely interesting. I can't imagine it being him. I would imagine because that's not... It doesn't really fit. It doesn't fit with him, does it? Yeah. And it certainly seems like towards the end of the season, he will end up working with them a bit. Maybe one of them not working with them, that they'll be in a kind of uneasy alliance. Uh, So we'll have to wait and see. But I I do think that, unfortunately, as much as I love Hank and Dawn as characters, I don't think they're both going to make it out of this season alive. Mm -hmm. And given that he is now filming... So he, he isn't... She isn't there for any of the set photos from the finale. Likewise, he isn't there... She's been on holiday, if you look at her social media, and he is really busy filming his new Amazon show in which he is the lead that I want to call Jack Reacher. Is that the correct one? I always get Jack Ryan and Jack Reacher confused. Oh, they're all the same thing to me. Spy. Spy. Spies. Uh, So he is now uh, filming... Yeah, Jack Reacher. He is playing the lead in Amazon's Jack Reacher. So I, I think it's probably safe to say that this season will will wrap up the story of of Hank and Dawn, which is a shame. Okay. Yeah, I wanted to see how they play out Red Hood a bit more. Is there going to be a time jump? Is it going to be something really quick? Where has he gone away and gotten the helmet and stuff? Hmm. I just realised that there is somebody else that's not in this trailer, which would be uh, Tim Drake. Exactly. Where's old Timmy? Yeah. 
So he has obviously been photographed a lot on the set as well, but never in costume. So I don't think, I think they're going to do a, a nice long game with him. And I mean, maybe the last shot of the finale will have him given a suit or handed a Robin suit. But certainly it's not going to be a case of in the space of the next 13 episodes, we meet him and he's already a tight, well, it joins the Titans and is a Robin kind of situation. I don't think that's going to happen. Hmm. Interesting. That'd be, that'd be an interesting arc to see what happens next because... There's always a Robin in charge of the Titans, so there can't really be two. No. So where would... Nightwing go. Where would Nightwing go? Oh, no, don't get rid of... Nightwing's like the best bit. Well, no, but then you you got to think, does he then... Does he get his own spin-off and have like a Bloodhaven thing? Or do we then yeah. have like a Titans East, Titans West type stuff? Yeah. It'd be... I, I'm excited for this to return. So we now know that this series will return on August the 12th. I forgot to say that at the top of the, top of the item. So... That's going to be a really busy week because you're going to get Stargirl return on the 10th and Titans return on the 12th. That's going to be a good week. Titans is premiering three episodes that week. So we'll get three episodes on August the 12th. There are 13 episodes in season two. So the, the remaining 10 episodes will spin out on Thursdays after that. Once once a week on HBO Max. Obviously, seasons one and two available in the UK on Netflix. We don't know yet when season three will come to the UK. It will likely be a few months again because there's always a bit of a lapse between the two. But we, you know us, given that our first ever podcasts were all purely about Titans, we will be bringing you Titans by by the minute, once it has returned. Anything else you want to say about this trailer? No, just uh, I'm looking forward to it. I'm going to have to have a little countdown. We'll have to rename ourselves as Titans HQ. Get your Titans on. Okay. Uh, so if you haven't seen this trailer, which I probably should have pointed out at the beginning, but if you haven't seen it, it's up now at our website, which is www.getyourcomicon.co.uk. There's also a stills gallery, because you know I can't resist a trailer gallery, with, uh, I think it's 27 beautiful stills from this trailer of various bits of action. I'm sure we've missed bits, but it's just too exciting. So catch Titans when it returns to screens on August the 12th. <laughs> We've got a lot to pack in in the next few minutes, so we've got to get through two interviews with three lovely people and talking about two movies and a comic book. So, quick fire, let's talk about The Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard, which is out now in UK and US cinemas from Lionsgate. It stars Ryan Reynolds, Samuel L. Jackson and Salma Hayek. All three return in the sequel to 2017's Hitman's Bodyguard. Thank you to Lionsgate UK for inviting us to the UK multimedia screening premiere where we got to see Salma Hayek. She was there. She introduced the movie. She said, motherfucker, a lot, which was funny, Um, which is a thing from the film if you've not seen it. By the way, there will be spoilers. What did you think of the film? Well, you missed a really important point there. Okay. The the most famous person in the room. (laughs) God. Who was the most famous person in the room at the screening? Was the lady from Holmes Under the Hammer. Whose name is? Lucy, obviously. Whose surname is? Oh, I don't know. Alexander. Don't know. Yes, there was one of the presenters from BBC's Holmes Under the Hammer sat just over the aisle from us. Martin was starstruck. It's very exciting. So it was It was one of the... It was, it was billed as the UK premiere, so there were an inordinate amount of Z-list celebrities from the likes of Strictly Come Dancing, Dancing on Ice... Is that what it's called? And 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 Love Island, uh, who were all very just as you would expect. They were paparazzi. It was it was nuts. We just sat in a quiet corner and enjoyed the film. So, what did you think of the film? 
Oh, it, yeah, it was very good. Um, yeah, good. So you hadn't seen the first one, and we watched it just the weekend before the screening. So the first one should have been relatively fresh in your mind. So how did you feel like it stacked up against the original? I think, I don't know, I may prefer the second one. Yeah, I think I prefer this one as well. I felt it was funnier. Definitely funnier. Uh, they had more of a, not like a buddy cop type relationship, but they were a good trio. Yeah, they were a very, very good trio together. There was a really good relationship between all three of them. I felt like the first one was a little bit long because it clocks in at, um, it's either just over two hours or literally just under two hours. Whereas this one was more like the 90 minutes. And I felt like the first one rattles on a little bit too long. And I do enjoy the first one, but I felt... So I was telling you a story about the first one, wasn't I? That the the original script for The Hitman's Bodyguard was the top of the Hollywood blacklist. And it was a very serious, kind of probably more John Wick-esque film. And then it fell into Ryan Reynolds' hands, or then the producers that eventually brought it to the screen, and it became more of a comedy. So I feel like the first one is trying to strike a balance between the two, Whereas I felt like this one was like, we can do comedy really, really well and we'll throw in some action stuff too. Yeah, that makes Rather, sense. I didn't feel like the two different aspects were fighting against each other. It felt like they were working together more this time for me. I would agree. They've embraced the, the silliness. Yeah. And just made it a comedy. Yeah. And it is very, very silly, but it's very enjoyably silly. There are some amazing jokes in there. Morgan Freeman appears in this film. I won't give away the role that he plays, but... The, the, the character who who he is, the the sheer existence of this character creates an amazing joke that just challenges some stereotypes for, for some people in the audience, but also just it just is so funny. Did did Ryan Reynolds write it? Was he involved? Does he do that? I don't know. Uh, I don't think so. I can tell you that it was um, directed by Patrick Hughes, who also directed the first one. The screenplay was written by Tom O'Connor and Brandon Murphy, based on characters created by Tom O'Connor. There was also someone called Philip Murphy who worked on the screenplay. Okay. I mean, it's just very much his brand of humour, isn't it? It is very, very on brand for his type of humour. And Samuel L. Jackson doesn't half do an action scene, considering he's, what, 70-ish? Is he? Samuel L. Jackson... Uh, I'm afraid I'm going to have to Google this because I don't know it off the top of my head. So, I suppose Pulp Fiction was a very long time ago. It was a very long time ago. He's 72. Wow. Yep, he does some really serious action for someone who's 72. And Salma Hayek is uh, in her 50s. So it's great to see an actress who is probably, by certain Hollywood standards, deemed over the hill, doing some real, like, badass action stuff I just never think of Samuel Jackson as having an age Jackson Jackson no he's ageless he's just ageless I mean all these I mean Ryan Reynolds are... is fairly ageless as well he's not exactly that he's not a spring chicken no god I mean good on them hmm do you see this rolling out into a franchise I mean this ends in a way that could bring on another film and there could be more of this trio of characters but do you see that being something that they could make last uh, no, I, I think it's probably two's enough, I think. I could see them eking out a third one just because of the the kind of final twist at the end of this film, just to play out what that might be like. 
Yeah, it doesn't need a third, I don't know. <laughs> I mean, there are a lot of people that think it maybe didn't need a second one, but I'm I'm glad they did because it was it was just so funny. I agree. I think Salma Hayek's character deserved it. She wasn't in the first one as much as she's in this one. She really takes the lead in this one, and and it it's it's great that they gave her character the the level of exposure they gave her here because my God, does it work? Yeah, she wasn't really in the first one, was she? She was in a prison cell, wasn't she? So, and the same, she really gets to flex those muscles. Yes, and she really, really does. She literally grabs the bull by the horns and owns the film. Anything that you thought didn't work as well in the second one from the first one? No, I thought it was a good film just to dispel all belief and, and have a have a laugh and a giggle. Yeah, it was a good step up from the first one in terms of comedy. I think if you enjoy the comedic elements, then it's it's definitely one to watch. So Hitman's Wife's Bodyguard is in UK cinemas right now from Lionsgate. That leads us into the latest of Warner Brothers and DC Comics animated movies. This would be the third in the potential new shared universe, fourth movie since, or fifth movie actually, since Justice League Apocalypse, uh, Justice League Dark Apocalypse War, Batman, The Long Halloween, which releases on digital on June the 22nd, but hits DVD, Blu-ray, Steelbook, 4K, UHD, all those other physical formats on June the 21st. It stars Jensen Ackles as Bruce Wayne Batman, Naya Rivera as Catwoman, You've got Troy Baker as the Joker, Billy Burke as Commissioner Gordon. You've got David Das... I can never do this guy's name, bless him. David Dasmoshian as Calendar Man, Alistair Duncan as Alfred, Julie Nathanson as Gilda Dent, Jim Perry as Sal Maroney, Fred Tataskior as Solomon Grundy, Josh Duhamel as Harvey Dent, and Jack Quaid as Alberto Falcone. Oh, I miss Carmine Falcone. That's Titus Welliver. The film was written by... Well, obviously, it's based on a book by Jeff Loeb, but the screenplay and the script for this are written by the lovely Tim Sheridan, who we'll be interviewing in just a moment, and directed by Chris Palmer. So the film is split into two. The second part is being released, believe it or not, on July the 26th. Oh, is that a special day? It might be a special day. It's my birthday. Which actually you'll get to hear me talk to Tim Sheridan about in a moment. Um, But yeah, so the the first film runs to just under 90 minutes. I think the second film runs just over 90 minutes. The first is a PG-13. The second is rated R, so tells you there's going to be a bit more violence in the second half. But it follows very faithfully the story of Jeff Loeb and Tim Sale's Batman Along Halloween comic book. If you don't know the comic book, then apologies now, there will be some spoilers here. But the the film does stop roughly three, four chapters in, so we're not going to reveal everything. What did you think of this film? I enjoyed it. Uh, I did think... Initial thought was, oh, it's a bit long, but then it's a very long book. So the book itself, just for anybody that's not read it, and this, this formed part of my interview with Tim as well... Uh, the book is over 360 pages long. I think it's it's just shy of 370 for the full story. So it's not it's not a short story by any length. But yeah, no, I, I really liked it. I was, thought it was very true to the source material. Mm. It was beautifully animated. I felt this style really lends itself to Batman. So that was going to be one of my questions to you, because I know that you weren't convinced by Man of Tomorrow. Yeah. 
And this follows the, the animation style that started in Man of Tomorrow and was in Justice Society World War Two, and moves into this one. If you watch the bonus features on Justice Society, they talk about how they upgraded slightly from the technique they used in Man of Tomorrow to kind of upgrade the backgrounds because that was something that they wanted to do for Long Halloween because the art in Long Halloween is very, very luscious, shall we say. A feast for the eyeballs. It certainly is. And... Uh, yeah, it works. It lends itself really well to Batman. I think Jensen Ackles sounds excellent as Batman, but he he also look I mean, he looks excellent. It's not actually physically him, obviously. It's a cartoon, but his Batman looks amazing in this film. It would you could never have adapted uh, Tim Sale's artwork. They use bits of it in the opening credits, but his art style wouldn't have lent itself to animation very well. You know how they kind of used the art style from Killing Joke for the animated film. They tried to translate the visual language. You couldn't do that with Long Halloween as much. No, that's true. Now, you are a fan of uh, of Glee. I hope that's not something that you don't want people to know. Uh, well, you put it out there now. <laughs> how do you feel about Naya Rivera as Catwoman? I thought she was really good. She's excellent, isn't she? She's. A, I'm surprised by how much I think she disappears into the character of Catwoman. There were times where I'm not entirely even convinced it's her. She, she The voice that she puts on for it is is quite different from her own. She has embodied Catwoman. Yeah, she does. She does it really well. I'm glad that she was able to... Uh, or I'm glad that she had, should I say, finished recording before she sadly passed away. Which is... It's, it's coming up to a year just now from when she passed away. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad that that's... A finished God, it been part. A year already. It'd be a year next month. Jesus. I know. I saw something in the in the news the other day that was how I know it's a year coming up because there was something about there was an interview with her mum talking about how her son is still handling it, what she deems to be very well. I think she will probably forever stand as a excellent portrayal of Catwoman, which is which is a lovely part of a legacy to have for her and an unexpected part of her legacy as well. That's such a shame, really. I mean. It was, it was quite sad to watch it and think, oh God, that's the last thing. One of the last things she did, yeah. She did. Jack Quaid is also absolutely brilliant in this film. I So I've watched it, uh, I've watched the film three times. I will probably end up watching it again. I'm, there's going to be another interview uh, about this film in our next podcast. We'll be interviewing Butch Lukic, who's one of the producers who's been producing this whole line of animated movies. Um, unfortunately, we couldn't fit it in before recording this podcast. But uh, each time I've watched it, I've said to myself, God, who is it that's voicing Alberto Falcone? I've done it every, I've done it all three times, and then had to remind myself that it's Jack Quaid. So it's Boimler from Lower Decks. Oh God, he's everywhere at the minute. Or Huey from The Boys. He really, I mean, he really is everywhere. But he's excellent. He is, I mean, Huey in The Boys is a kind of geekyish character, and at the beginning of season one, he's a bit more of an introvert. Boimler, I guess, is a bit of an introvert as well. But it's quite a he's he's quite the way he the way Boimler reacts to things he's quite loud and he's quite brash in that respect. Whereas Alberto is quite a different character for him because there's that undercurrent of potential sort of Arkham level psychosis that maybe his other characters that I've heard him play don't have. This is a different kind of level of nuts for him. I mean, the boys it's all about the humor. In Lower Decks it's all about the humor and it's also animated. Whereas this is 
kind of both of those things put together and dialed up to an 11. So it's it's really different for him. And I, similar to Naya Rivera, I feel like he disappears into the role quite a lot. What do you think about Jensen Ackles as Batman? I didn't ask you, sorry. No, you didn't. Um, I thought he was excellent. I mean, I, I think he looks great as well. <laughs> you think his Batman looks great? I think his Batman looks also looks great. Okay. Yeah. Oh, you were just telling me you think Jensen Ackles looks great. Well, yeah, that's, I mean, I was following your train of thought. So Sorry. I missed the joke. But I thought he was very good. Um, given, he's, given, given he's the voice of Red Hood, you always associate, well, I always associate him with Red Hood, so it's nice to hear a man step up into the, the Batman role as well. Mm, definitely. I hope we get plenty more appearances from him. So we're now at a point where we've got Darren Chris as Superman, Jensen Ackles as Batman, and Matt Bomer as The Flash. Stana Katic as Wonder Woman, but question mark on her because that was a World War II Wonder Woman. So whether that will end up being the same Earth, I well, obviously that wasn't the same Earth, but if she ends up being our Earth's Wonder Woman as well. So technically we've got four Justice League members there, all with some real high-profile actors who do a really good job, real really well-defined character voices, which is quite exciting, I think, for the future of this series. I know you said you thought the film was a little bit long when you first watched it. I do think that's part of the pacing of the book. I think they've emulated the pacing of the book really well, whilst adding in a few bits and pieces to try and help speed things up or kind of replicate bits in the book that are difficult to do firsthand. But why don't we throw over to the writer Tim Sheridan to talk a bit about that because I did talk to him about additional footage and things he wanted to bring to the screen. So I had a chance to sit down with him uh, just last week for 10-15 minutes pure talk on Batman The Long Halloween so have a little listen and see what he has to say. Hi Tim, how are you? How are you doing? I'm great, how about you? Oh fantastic. Have uh, Have you had your coffee now? I've had my coffee, and I'm now going to have a sparkling water. So Ooh. let's, let's, uh, let's dig in. I don't want you to be cheated of any of your time. So oh, uh, right. what you got? Okay, so long Halloween. Um, congratulations, firstly, on what I think is an amazing film. I'm I'm so excited for people to see this film. But let's let's go back Thank to the beginning. Um, tell me tell me about it. Was this always the plan for your next DC animated project after Man of Tomorrow? Uh, you know what's interesting is we we work we started working on the Long Halloween before uh, Man of Tomorrow. Really? Um, it was um, yeah. It was actually my first project after Reign of the Superman. Oh wow! Okay. And uh, and so and Butch Lukic and I and Jim Creed we had worked together. I came in at the very end of a show called Justice League Action. Yeah. And um, got to got to work meet and work with those guys and. Uh, and you know, hit it off well enough, I guess, that they <laughs> they called me when it came time to start talking about Long Halloween. Happily, I had Reign of the Superman under my belt at that point, um, and uh, and so um, you know, they they took a shot and said, let's let's uh, let's 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 dig into this. Happily, we all had the same perspective on how we wanted to do it, so um, so that that made made things very easy right from the start. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so then the third movie we worked on was Man of Tomorrow, wow. but because of scheduling and other things, it ended up, uh, being released first and the long Halloween came out, uh, is coming out now. 
Interesting. So I, I remember, obviously, you and I spoke about uh, about Man of Tomorrow back last year, and I remember saying to you mm-hmm. about the Batman tease, and um, I think I said to you at the time, would you like to have written more for the character? Clearly, you were holding out on me when you said you would like to write more about him in the future. I mean, you know, I, we have to hold something close. You know, a... I, was, um, I was watching the film again today while I was making notes for my questions. And uh, I, was, I was watching the scene of Harvey, Jim and Batman on the GCPD rooftop. And now all I can imagine yeah. is yourself, Butch and Jim having that moment together trying to decide whether to make a film of this magnitude and adapt this story. <laughs> is, there a, is there a pressure oh, which wow, goes with wow. adapting this kind of legendary Batman story? Uh, well, first of all, I think of Butch and Jim and I uh, not as uh, Gordon, uh, <laughs> uh, Batman and, and Harvey, but more as, <laughs> as uh, Falcone, Calendar Man oh, and the Joker. So, okay. <laughs> oh, who's who, dare I ask? <laughs> <laughs> who's who i that i told you some things we have to keep close so i'm not <laughs> going to tell you that but uh, you know it was it was definitely we knew that it was daunting because it was to us yeah. at the time we felt it was the last big hotly anticipated um story from the books that would um that would get an adaptation um although you know i think that that's up for debate there are still some pretty great stories out there but there have been a lot of fan you know desire for yeah. the long halloween Absolutely. um and so so there was there was a lot of responsibility there which is why we went in saying look we know that you can't just and you know based on our experience having done this we know that you can't just you know film the comic book you know the in the in a comic book you know, you're 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 doing so much of the work, and you know, as the reader, um, yeah, yeah, and uh, and sort of you know, filling in all the background stuff and, and things that are happening, you know, between panels, and so a movie just doesn't work like that. So we knew that it was never going to quite, you know, be a filmed version of the book. It had mm. to have some, um, you know, cinematic, uh, you know, uh, uh, storytelling <laughs> to it. However, it was so important to us to be as faithful as we could. I mean, you just wanted to, in terms of faithful, I mean, you know, by, by, by looking at what we feel the long Halloween is, which is by the way, very subjective Yes. because it's a great work of art and those things are to be interpreted. And so what you see is, is Butch's Jim's and my, uh, and all the artists, um, our our sort of adapt our, our idea of our, you know, of what the book is, and the themes that we feel are the strongest themes for the book that made sense to explore cinematically. And so that's, that's what we tried to do. And happily, we all wanted to do that from the beginning. Nobody was, was uh, nobody had a different, uh, you know, you always want to be making the same movie with yeah. the people that you're making it with. Yeah. And we were right from the beginning. And so it's, we're very, very proud of it. I, I, you you should be honestly i mean obviously i've only seen part one i have yet to see what's to come in part two but it feels to me very faithful to the to the original story yeah. as well but i mean given that the book's over Thank you for saying that. it's i mean it's over 350 pages so was it a conscious decision early on to split it into two it feels like a great idea to allow it the time it needs to be translated to the screen you know, it's, it was right right at the start. I mean, at first it was going to be one, one movie, and I sat down and started breaking out the story, and I said, I just don't know how to do this without <laughs> substantially changing the way everything works in the book. If you know the book, you know that there are, you know, 
you know, there, there are big things that happen <laughs> later on or, you know, in the middle of the book. And, um, you know, th- those things um, in one, you know, 85 minute movie or whatever would, would be, would have to move up in a, in an, in sequence in a way that is almost impossible when you're doing a story whose spine is rooted in the calendar. Yeah. You know, it's, there was, there's, there's a reason why the, the story that you see that takes place on, say, Mother's Day is, 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 a, is part of it, – it's an exp- exploration of Mother's Day, you know, yeah. the, the idea of um, Thanksgiving, you know. I mean those, those things it, – it was it, – you don't want to swap those things out just because you need to put plot in other areas because that's what the long Halloween is. That's what makes it so cool is it is in its way – a rumination on these moments that we spend throughout the year, the celebration that we might feel and have for that, and then sort of putting that in relief as a, with a counterpoint, this terrible serial killer, you know, <laughs> mystery that's going on. Yeah. Um, so, 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 so I said, I got I got at least have two movies. So I went to the guys, and, and they were like, yes, and uh, every all the executives said, yes, do it. So, um, so that made things a lot easier in terms of being faithful to how the story plays out. Brilliant. I'm quite excited as well because part two is releasing on my birthday. What's better than to have a Batman movie mm. release on your birthday? <laughs> <laughs> well, we did that for you. you know, happy I birthday thought, to I you. I thought so. And, I thought uh... <laughs> so. I, uh, I saw one of your yeah. tweets about the... Um, the, you'd retweeted one of the clips that's been released and it was the the Chinatown fight scene and you mentioned how, yeah. you know, to you the alterations to, to the story had to be additive to it so how did you kind of approach adding that connective tissue between the chapters or fleshing out those moments and was there anything that you wanted to well, bring you know, to the screen that you couldn't? Yeah, you know, there's a there's a thing, I mean look, there's when you're, when you're watching uh, an, an animated, you know, superhero movie you um, you expect a certain level of of action and 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 uh, you know I mean it's Batman and you want to be able to see Batman get into a couple of scrapes yeah, you definitely know? and some and and you, you you know in the book um, you know they, that that's not the the uh, the emphasis of the story in the book so those things tend to I think in my mind happen in between pages and in between panels in the book. You know that Batman's getting into more scrapes, but um, but you don't necessarily you know see them played out. So for us, it was like, well, we we know we want to get some action in here, but rather than just invent something out of whole cloth, let's look at the opportunities we have in between issues or in between pages in the story and say, okay, well, this must have happened. This this is something that that leads to the next thing that happens. So why don't we see what that would have looked like? And if it made for a good sequence, then we we kept you know we put it in. Um, in the case of the Chinatown sequence, I mean that was you know we had an opportunity there because we changed the Irish uh, gang to a Chinese triad, um, and that was you know for specifically mostly so that we could get some more diversity into the cast and mm. and uh, and also also because I think in the 90s when the book was written there was. It was a little bit more. I think there was something more palpable about, you know, like the the the, the scary Irish heavies <laughs> that I don't know that I don't know that we feel as as 
viscerally today, but there is a lot of mystery around Chinese mafia yeah. stuff. And so it sort of made some sense to that's one of that's probably I don't know if maybe it's maybe I'm saying that maybe I'm wrong, but I feel like that's the only like update that we did. I feel like that we 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 wanted to update that a little bit and make them feel like they were really kind of scary. I mean, I think that you know we didn't want them to come off as as uh, as silly at all. Yeah, not in this story. So anyway, so we also had an opportunity because you know we we set that fight in Chinatown. There was an opportunity for the artists to do something visually very different in a part of Gotham City yeah. that we hadn't really a lot of so you know those things were 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 important to us as we went through and and we tried as much as we could if we needed to add some connective tissue or something like that or some action or what have you that it would still be the kind of thing that doesn't negate something from the book that it it just is additive to it I think that's testament as well. When when watching it, I, I ended up watching it, I think the third time I watched it, I had the book in my hand so I could see where there were differences because the first time I watched yeah. it, despite the fact that it's a book that I've read over and over, I couldn't actually have told you what was different because it, it all works right. in the tone of, of the story, which I think is, is a brilliant way to attack it. That means so much to me to hear that because that's the, that's the experience I think we were hoping for. You, we don't want to we're, – we're never going to be able to make the book as you composed it along with yeah. the writer and the artist in your head as you read it, right? Everybody yep. has their own – because you're filling in. You're participating in the story as a comic book reader. Yeah. You're filling in all the gaps, and, and we can't possibly visualize and put that on screen. But we can give you our – visualization and what happens for us and and the happily it seems to match up a little bit and if we're faithful to the, the themes and the, the basics of the story um you know without without upending anything we we um that, that i mean that's that that was the goal we we just wanted to have you have the experience of what you felt when you first read the book um I, and yeah. you know even though the details might be a little bit you know jostled for cinematic pur- purposes <laughs> <laughs> So looking ahead to part two, no spoilers, of course, what can fans expect? Well, it's a very different movie. I mean, there, they are, there's, you know, part one and part two. When I, when I knew that we were going to get to do two movies, I said, well, for me, if we're going to be true to the themes of the book, you know, they're two sides of a coin. You know, part one is, is the, the, the clean, unmarred side of the coin, and part two is the dirtier marred side of the coin it moves a lot faster i think um there's there's a lot to deal with you're going to see more more villains um and uh and you know i think that that uh that you know as as a as a an experience i think that the experience of watching part two is going to be uh you know uh, exciting but in different ways than part one i absolutely cannot wait for it i, I really can't so what's next for you? It's been a huge couple of weeks. You've had the Masters of the Universe trailer. You've had the release date for Transformers War for Cybertron. What, what, well, that you can tell me about, what's next? Well, the, right now, the thing I'm most focused on is, you know, the June 22nd yep. release of uh, Batman The Long Halloween Part 1. But, um, but yeah, we, I, this is kind of a crazy summer for me. <laughs> you know, it's uh, a lot of... Sometimes this happens. We're just, you know, you have a, a lot of work that you've done, and it all sort of ends up getting scheduled at the same time to be released. So I've got, like you said, Masters of the Universe that I got to work on with, uh, with Kevin Smith. And, um, 
I've got, uh, you know, I'm, I'm working in DC Comics now. I've got yep. a series called Teen Titans Academy that's coming out monthly and, uh, and a, a Shazam miniseries that starts this week that ties into that other book. I'm really looking and, forward uh, to that and one I've got as some well. Masters... Oh, thank you. I've got some Masters of the Universe comics that are debuting uh, uh, in a couple weeks. So, um, yeah, so lots of stuff going on, but... Uh, <laughs> But, you know, right now I'm just biting, you know, my nails. Thinking, it's all about know, Waiting for people to see Batman and, uh, and, you know, hopefully I haven't, you know, hopefully we haven't ruined anyone's childhood. <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, well, from my perspective, absolutely uh, not. It's been amazing. So that was Tim. Thanks very much to him for, for doing that interview. It's, it's so nice. It's the first time I've spoken to someone for the second time. Obviously, we've not been doing interviews for very long. But he, he's the first person that I've interviewed twice. Oh, very exciting. You're developing a, a special bond. I know. I know. hope he remembered me. It'd be nice to think that he did. Uh, but he was really, really fun to talk to. He's, it's so much easier to do an interview when you know that the person that you're talking to is really sweet. And he's got so much going on as well. Like, we touched on it there, but just in the last couple of weeks, they've announced the last batch of episodes for Netflix's Transformers War for Cybertron that he's writing, or part of the writing team for. He's part of the writing team for Kevin Smith's uh, Masters of the Universe Revelation that we just got the trailer for. And he's also got a Shazam series that starts in July with DC. And he's writing your Teen Titans Academy that you're reading at the moment. Oh, he's a busy man, isn't he? Very busy man. Lovely man. Anything else that you wanted to say about Batman The Long Halloween? No, just uh, watch it. It is a feast for the eyeballs. Certainly is. So Batman Along Halloween, by the time this podcast is released, will be available now on DVD, Blu-ray, probably a steelbook, uh, and 4K UHD, and also will be available on digital platforms. So last up, this week is a comic book from DC's Young Readers line, which is called The Mystery of the Meanest Teacher, a Johnny Constantine graphic novel. And I'm really sorry if at any point in the next few minutes I don't get the name right because for some reason I stumble over the mystery of the meanest teacher quite a lot so I tend to call it Johnny Constantine. The book is written by Ryan North with illustration by Derek Charm and it takes a young Constantine to uh, to America for the first time where he's sent to a boarding school. He makes friends with a, a girl called Anna in his class and the two of them go on a little bit of a mission to do with their scary teacher. But before we talk about it why don't we hear a little bit more about it from both the writer and the illustrator? I had the the chance to sit down with Ryan and Derek to chat about the film. Thank you to DC Comics for arranging that for me. So have a little listen to what they had to say. Hi, Neil. Hey, guys. How are you doing? Great, I'm doing well. Thanks for taking the time to speak with me today. I'm really excited for people to finally get to see this book. I've read it a couple of times now, and uh, really? I think people are really going to enjoy it. Oh, thank you. So I would like to know, first and foremost, uh, what drew you to working with the character of Constantine? Were you uh, were you fans of the character before taking this on, or was he new to you? I had read um, a bunch of Constantine comics when I was younger. Um, so he was not he was definitely not new to me, plus I'd seen the, the Bruce Timm animated series. Um, so what drew me was the idea of how do we take Constantine, who is one of DC's uh, most adult characters <laughs> and have him be a middle grade character and have him still be Constantine. That sounded like uh, a fun idea. It sounded like a fun idea. It sounded like a uh, idea that was so wild. I wanted to see if we could make it happen. <laughs> <laughs> Derek, what about you? 
Um, yeah, I mean, as uh, Ryan North or Ryan messaged me and was like, do you want to work on this kid Constantine comic? And the whole, like, the, that sentence just sounded so crazy to me that I was like 100%, like, and we'd worked together before on Jughead and Squirrel Girl and stuff. So I knew it was going to be tonally like something that made sense, even though it sounds so insane. <laughs> you wrote back and said, yes, period. <laughs> yes, you were in. <laughs> You mentioned it just there, but you've worked together before, but how was it collaborating on bringing this story to life? What does the, the process of working together for you two kind of look like? <clears throat> uh, it was, I mean, I don't know about Derek, it was very smooth on my end. <laughs> where, uh, <laughs> I, I started writing the comic and whenever I'm writing, I try to imagine uh, what the page looks like. And having Derek there as the author, I'm like, all right, I can imagine, like I know his style. Uh, so I can imagine what it looked like a lot easier. Um, and it was it was very smooth for me. Uh, Derek, did you enjoy it? Did you hate every minute? <laughs> no, it was great. Um, yeah, it's just it's really smooth working together. Um, like once I got the character designs down and like imagining John Constantine as a kid, you know, with like the overcoat and like a print on his shirt instead of a suit and all this stuff, and like um, the other characters imagining like younger versions or alternate versions of. Um, it was like really smooth once we had everything down, you know. And I think it also helps um, already being friends that you know we can give each other notes and that we don't have to be super delicate about it to not worry about the person flipping the table and leaving the room forever <laughs> yeah it's good to have that level of familiarity already kind of going into the project mm -hmm. definitely you mentioned it there just about trying to take this character who who genuinely is not the most kid-friendly character in the dc no. universe but ryan i'm really interested in how you how did you approach that how did you break him down to to make this version because it still it still really feels like constantine to me but is so much more accessible to that younger audience. Oh, that's great. That's what we're shooting for. Um, for me, the the big idea I had was let's uh, get him off center. Let's take him away from his normal home where he's he has this he has his people he knows. He's got this group of demons he hangs out with. Everything seems to be super smooth. And let's move him to North America where most of his spells don't work, and he's left uh, kind of scrambling and kind of. Uh, passing off that he knows what's going on when he really doesn't but felt felt very uh, at home to the Constantine experience and so it was this idea of uh, getting him off balance and having him try to sort of fake it till he makes it uh, which felt very true to Constantine but also like very true to the, the experience of being that age sort yeah, of 8 yeah, to 12 definitely. age where you're you're uh, not quite sure what's going on all the time you're not quite sure who you are what, what you want to be or what the people around you are and uh once i had that idea it felt like okay no this this actually fits really nicely i don't have to force it because there's these great parallels between being a kid and being john constantine at that age that uh snapped together nicely it was a really pleasant surprise actually it does you're right it fits together so well and then the analogy of the teacher being being the villain as well just feels perfect for someone of that age because when you you know when you are a hormonal teenager and you're stuck in class all the time the teacher does naturally kind of become that, that villainous figure so it does it lends itself so well to the to the story that you've written but Thank tell you. me a bit about the character of Anna as well her relationship with Constantine is really I felt like the heart and the anchor in the middle of the story and it's really fun to read tell me tell me a bit about her and how you decided to write her yeah uh anna um for i guess slight spoiler she has some magical powers too <laughs> and um for me her core is she's someone who who has these skills and is good at it like she's she's really good at what she does but 
the world around her has sort of told her like you're not supposed to have this what you're doing isn't real it's tricks and sort of this idea of she knows who she is and she knows what she wants but everyone around her is telling her that that's impossible and she suddenly meets this guy who has magic like she has magic and she realizes what I want is real and achievable but also like I'm not the only one I'm not alone and that sense of, of feeling alone when you're that age, of feeling like no one in the world uh, feels the way I do. And therefore I am broken in some way and I am uh, unusual and worthy of being despised <laughs> in that way uh, when you're a kid. It, it, it feels real. It feels like I, I remember that feeling. And so her relationship with, with Kid Constantine, when she meets this guy who is like, the, is like how she is, um, I think she says in the book, like, we have to be friends. There's no reason why we shouldn't be friends. This, this makes sense to me. And you have this nice contrast of a kid who is constantly uh, scrambling and not quite sure, and Anna who knows who she is and what she wants and suddenly feels validated in that felt like an interesting relationship and a, a really sincere friendship between these two people. Yeah, yeah, it does. It does feel very sincere. And I I'm probably shouldn't admit this, given that I'm slightly above the reading age for, for, for this book. But <laughs> I, I genuinely, when I got to the end of the book and the, the the spoiler revealed itself, I thought, how did I not see that all the way through? Oh, I'm that's great. <laughs> <laughs> that's terrific. I'm so glad because we, we took efforts to hide it. Um, I, I guess it, I don't want to reveal it for the readers no. or the listeners, but... Um, I'm glad that it worked for you. That's true. Yeah, no, it that's, absolutely that's did. I, I, I probably, I probably was kicking myself, thinking, "How did I not see this coming?" It's, it's, it's brilliant, <laughs> and it, it feels right to the world of DC and the magical side of things. But similarly, I really liked how you brought in Etrigan as a supporting character as well. Was there anybody else from that kind of magical realm of DC that you would have liked to have included in the story? Oh gosh. Um... Derek, I guess I wrote it. You would have had a better answer for this because you're the one who's having to work with my script. <laughs> Did I not put in that you wanted to have? Um, yeah, I mean, uh, originally, I think the idea was to have the, the character he meets out in the forest to be Bigfoot. And then at mm -hmm. some point, uh, Jim Chadwick, our editor, messaged and said, we might change it to Etrigan. Are you okay with that? And I was like, Etrigan's like one of my favorite Jack Kirby characters, period. I was super excited like, from that <laughs> point on. So. Yeah, I didn't want to suggest anything else because I wanted to keep it at your hand, so. <laughs> <laughs> Well, coming to you, Derek, uh, were there challenges as well opening up Constantine's world from a from a visual perspective, taking that, it, you know, it's got a lot of occult iconography and demons. How was it translating that to the younger audience? Um, yeah, it was kind of just coming up with the, the initial designs for, for Constantine and Anna. And then, you know, no matter how extreme or scary uh, the situations or the characters ended up after that, they would always still kind of be in that same style. So like the demon friends he has um, in essentially hell at the beginning of the book are like sort of silly looking, not like scary looking. And it's kind of sort of a cartoon depiction with flames out the window and stuff. Uh, but yeah, it's just, it's just like matching the tone of the writing uh, for the most part and not going too far into the horror direction or into like a too much of a childlike direction, you know. And when you're preparing to to illustrate a project like this, do you do you go back and look over some of what other artists have done with with versions of these characters, or do you just try and take a kind of idea of how they feel in the in the script, and visualize them from there? 
Um, yeah, for sure. Definitely look at um, other artists and what other people have done. Cause I wanted to, I wanted them to be recognizable as their like, you know, their adult forms, but still like make sense as if you didn't know who they were, they still made sense as characters. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, just adapting it and like uh, finding a way to like bring in these references to their traditional looks. And I tried a lot of different uh, looks for Etrigan and ended up just going back to the original design because it works so well. Well, I was going to ask you if you had a favorite character to uh, to draw for in this, but I've got a funny feeling you might say Etrigan. I think it might be, yeah. <laughs> I, I Etrigan in a, in a ball cap? Yeah, for sure. So I was really excited to see that it ends with a kind of a tease of potential further adventures for, for Constantine and Anna. Um, and I realized there might not be anything that you can, can say about it at this point, but thinking kind of what you would like to do in the future, where would you like to see them go next? Oh, wow, that's a good question. Um, I feel like a lot of this book is we're, we're meeting Constantine and Anna and seeing the relationship evolve until they become uh, the, the close friends they are at the end of this. And so I would love to see them now that they're like team Constantine and, and Anna uh, really run with that and, you know, face a threat that is beyond them <laughs> because then they're back to scramble. But I, I mean, this, I'm, I'm literally making this up as I go. Uh, <laughs> I have not thought of that, but I would love to spend more time thinking about it. Derek, yeah. any ideas from you what you'd like to see them do next? I mean, I think it'd be fun for them to meet or come across Swamp Thing at some point just because those characters have a shared history. Oh, yeah, that would be brilliant. Yeah. Um, and that would make sense. But yeah, beyond that, like, I, anyone from like the spooky side of DC would be really fun to try to adapt into this like world, you know? Mm-hmm. I'm all for it. Oh, Swamp, Swamp Thing's thing. great. <laughs> Last question for me. Uh, what are you guys working on at the moment? What's next for both of you? Oh gosh, um, I am working on a, a sequel. This is actually just sort of comics adjacent. I'm working on the sequel to my nonfiction book, How to Invent Everything, uh, but it's not announced yet. So I can't say anything except <laughs> some, I'm working on something fun and exciting <laughs> that's in the nonfiction space. Excellent. Uh, yeah, I can't talk about mine either, but I have um, a few, a short story in the Marvel Pride special that comes out next week. So oh, that amazing. It comes out, it's about Electra. Oh, one oh, of my great. favorite Marvel characters as well. I look forward to reading it. Oh yeah, it's really fun. It's written by Leela Sturgeons. Thanks very much, guys. It was a real pleasure talking to you. Best of luck with the book. I cannot wait for people to uh, get out there and read it. Oh, that's so kind. Thank you, Thank you Neil. Thanks, bye-bye. Thank you to both Ryan and Derek for, for taking part in the interview. It was really nice to chat to them about it and um, I hope they didn't laugh at me too much for the fact that despite me being older than the target market for this book, the fact that I didn't see some of the twists coming. Bless you. Was that a complicated story? No, it's a very simple story, but it's a very effective one. So it's a perfect analogy for for being young. Constantine... uh, has things going on for himself at home he makes friends with some with some demons but he's not getting on very well with his parents and they send him over to this boarding school and over there he knows no one he's the you know he's the bottom of the barrel makes friends with this girl called anna who also happens to be interested in magic and together they discover that their their mean teacher may not be all that she seems but there's just there's a real sweetness to the relationship between constantine and anna 
which is kind of the core of the story and will probably lead hopefully to more stories in the future because it certainly is a jumping off point for like a team Constantine and Anna to kind of be their own Scooby gang and hunt out mysteries. But there's a, there's, well, I don't want to spoil it because it's really sweet, but there is, there's something about her character that you will learn that when you learn it, as you just heard me say in that interview, uh, when you do learn it in the book, I had to give myself a swift slap and say, how, how do I, with all my years of reading DC, not see certain things coming? But they thought it was really funny and they were saying, you know, that was, that was, I mean, part of, part of writing this this whole kind of project is they know that it's probably going to be read to kids by their parents who may have been reading comic books for years. So you're kind of, you're writing it from a point of view of, I want, you know, a parent who's a comic book reader to, to read this with their children and for both of them to enjoy it. And certainly as somebody who is, you know, in their mid twenties, I enjoyed it. Uh, mid twenties. Mm, yeah. Okay. Plus or minus 20. 10. You've not read this book yet. I've been telling you to read it, being a Constantine fan, but you've not. I know, I just, I feel like I'm in the wrong demographic. <laughs> well, you are in the wrong demographic, but it, they're just, they're, re- they're really fun stories. And what Ryan has done is really take Constantine, take him down to sort of 13 years old, but keep the core of the character. You see, he's still really recognisable as Constantine, which I really appreciate in terms of the writing. It's not like... This is a another character. We're just going to call him Constantine. Like he has his little trench coat, but rather than his shirt and tie, he's got like a little band T-shirt on. Um, and it's just it's fun. It's just a real fun read. I assume he doesn't smoke in this one. No, he doesn't smoke. He's not smoking as a teenager. But you know, the the core of the character is still there. Like a candy cigarette or something. <laughs> Etrigan is also in this book as well, which is really interesting. He's a supporting character. He's about the only kind of piece from from. DC's magical realm that is in this. The 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 villain is a is an original character. Anna is perhaps an original character. Wink, <laughs> wink, wink. Mm. Yeah, it's releasing in stores on the uh, and digital on the twenty ninth of June. So it's coming up really really soon. Uh, it's just honestly, I don't have I don't particularly have a bad word to say about any of the DC Young Readers books because I think they're brilliant. If I had children. I'm looking at the cat as if to say I could read it to the cat. Uh, I don't think you'd understand. But... I absolutely would read it to to children, and I think it is a brilliant gateway for them to get into some amazing characters. And it was funny as well talking to Ryan and Derek about the fact that they've managed to take one of DC's probably least child friendly characters and and make him friendly to that kind of audience. I mean, it's quite a difficult one to sort of clean up. I mean, even the Joker you can clean up. In in one respect, you can have the Joker bludgeoning someone to death with a crowbar but then you just make him a funny clown and it works for kids whereas Constantine there's a there's a lot there of toning down of the occult imagery promise me that you will read it I will put it on the list of things to read okay so please please do run out and grab Mystery of the Meanest Teacher a Johnny Constantine graphic novel when it releases in print and on digital on June the 29th That about wraps things up for this week. We've got another busy couple of weeks ahead of us. I've got a screening of Universal Pictures Fast 9 tomorrow as we're recording this. I have not seen Fast 8. I've seen Fast 1, um, but I'll figure it out in between. Cars, Vin Diesel, we're good to go. Vroom, vroom, I don't know. Yeah. So I'm really looking forward to that one. 
I've got a special event coming up on Tuesday this week, which I'm currently not allowed to tell anyone about, uh, but is about the production launch of another movie in a long-running franchise. Very, very, very excited and very, very thankful to the studio that reached out to me and said, would you like to attend this event? Same day, I'm going to be interviewing Butch Lukic, the producer of Batman Along Halloween and other DC animated movies. So look for his interview coming up in a couple of weeks. There's sure there's more as well. I'm looking at the list of things that are coming out in the next couple of weeks. We've got Luca, which has just hit Disney+, Plus, which I have seen, but you've not had a chance to watch yet. So we're going to sit you down to watch that. We're really only a couple of weeks away from Black Widow. That'll be out probably out. That will be two podcasts ahead. There'll be more Loki. There'll be some Love Victor going on, which has just hit Disney Plus for season two as well. There's a lot going on. You may have something with a little river in it. Yes, there may be some uh, Rivers of London action from one of your favourite franchises coming up with the release of their deluxe edition of Rivers of London Comics Volume 1. But we will tell you more about that in the coming weeks. Until then, stay safe, stay well, and goodbye. Bye! Bye.